it's vitally important that people start listening to employees. And we talked about this a number of times during this podcast, but listening to the people at the front line, giving them the opportunity to share their ideas, to understand what's going on and to set up their own initiatives, experiments to make the business in general better. The results that it might bring you as an organization and even as an individual leader of such an organization are quite extreme. So I would recommend everybody to at least give it a try and to start understanding how you can become this new type of organization where you truly leverage the motivation of people. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. And according to Gallup, more than 70% of people go to work disengaged. And why is that so important in these times of hardship and trying to navigate our organizations through the storm of the pandemic? because employee engagement is highly related to many performance outcomes in organizations, even more so in tough times. Organizational design and serving leadership is what we'll be covering in today's episode, one of my favorite subjects to talk and learn more about. So I'm super excited about today's guest, Pim Dimora, co-founder from Corporate Rebels. Pim and his co-founder, Joe Minar decided to leave their corporate jobs due that they were frustrated about working in outdated workplaces and characterized by heavy bureaucracy and the lack of engagement. They set out on a journey to find out what does the best of the best organization do to create workplaces where people thrive and grow in. Pim shares how they got started making a bucket list of organizations they wanted to study and visit to make sure they were the real thing. We discuss a number of trends that are transforming the way we work and how organization and its leader need to evolve and adapt. We also touch on how the pandemic is in a progressive way of changing the way we work and could potentially be a stepping stone in the right direction if we all embrace it on the other side. Pimp gives some real great life examples of organizations like Zimmerman, Birdsock and Vickers Wheel who are all changing the landscape, not only the way they work, but also the way they perform as a business. There are super, super insights in here and practical advice on how to get started building an organization not only make business sense, but makes a positive impact on your people, the community and the planet. If you, like me, are super passionate about how to build great organizations and team, please book a chat with me on hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm always happy to talk. Grab your notebook and coffee, I guarantee you, you will learn something new about how to lead your organization better and different in the new paradigm. Enjoy. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say we're going to go on a different journey than you know we normally have done in the last couple of weeks, where we've been talking a, a lot about you know how to get a good start of the year. We talk with uh, some uh, CEOs from different brands across the world, from Asia to the US. Today, we're going to talk a bit about the future and how we actually uh, build a better industry, because actually that often starts with the way we build our organizations. And for that conversation, I'm very lucky to uh, get Pimp from uh, 
from Corporate Rebels to join us for that conversation today. And uh, for people that just don't know Corporate Rebels, I say that they have an amazing book. If you haven't read that yet, uh, it will inspire to think differently about how you build organizations. And I'm sure that this conversation also would make you think a bit about how do you actually bring your business back uh, or organization back uh, in the uh, post-COVID world. But with that said, welcome to the podcast, Pim. Good afternoon. Nice to be here. For people that, uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, Corporate Rebel is definitely something I know a lot about. I'm reading a lot. I've been talking a lot about you as well and referred you to on the podcast. But for people that hasn't picked up who you guys is and the journey you're on and what you're trying to to solve here in the world and what you're passionate about, can you just give them a, like a brief overview, the elevator pitch of Corporate Rebels? Yeah, so it's, it, it has become something that we never expected it to to be. So let's start from the beginning. It, we started Corporate Rebels five years ago. So actually this month is our five-year anniversary. And five years ago, we we started from a point of frustration. So Joost uh, and myself, Joost being a good friend of mine already since we were 12 years old, we were doing different jobs back in those days. Um, and we were working in organizations doing the thing we had studied for. So Joost being a nanotechnologist, myself being an industrial engineer. And we worked in companies doing exactly the thing we had studied for. But we weren't happy at all. So we liked the work we were doing when you look at the content, but we didn't like the way the work was organized. So the companies that we worked in were, at least to us, super frustrating in how they organized their work. So the fact that there was a manager who was telling you exactly what to do um, the fact that there was no freedom to, for example, determine your own working hours or and there was no opportunity for entrepreneurship to come up with any creative ideas because the company just wanted to do wanted you to do things exactly according to the rules. Um, so they could be, um, at least they were thinking, as efficient as possible. So we got totally fed up with that. We worked for three years in an organization like that and we got together, shared our frustration and um, concluded that we didn't want to continue working like that for 40 more years. So we couldn't picture working our, uh, working in such organizations for for any longer than those first three years. So we decided to quit and we came up with the idea to travel around the world to visit the world's most progressive organizations. And with progressive, um, we kind of meant organizations that were really doing things differently. So we wanted to research companies that were doing the opposite of what we had experienced. So we wanted to visit organizations where employees had lots of freedom, where they um, didn't have those strict hierarchies, those um, huge amounts of bureaucracy. So we were looking for, for kind of the rebels within, uh, within the, the, the business world to understand how companies can actually work different so people become more motivated and engaged at work. Um, so that's that's how we started five years ago. And we've been traveling around the world for five years, except for the past 10 months, of course. Um, we've been traveling around a lot to learn and to visit these organizations, but also to learn from academics, um, CEOs, entrepreneurs, to understand how work can be organized in a better, uh, more fun way. Um, so in short, we say that we're all about making work more fun. Um, the longer version, of course, is much more in-depth than that. Um, but we try to reinvent the way organizations work. And we, we do that by sharing all of these stories through our, uh, our blog mainly um, and, and hopefully getting more people on board of this, uh, this change movement. 
Yeah, and it is fascinating the the amount of uh, companies you visit from you know from from Europe to Asia to the US, and uh, and you still you still have a plan, I guess, when uh, the world opens up again to to continue that journey. But one of the things that struck me when I touched you the first time, you talked about you know like you called them the the eight uh, key trends within organizations, and. I think that you know if we can just touch a bit about on them, maybe we don't get, we people can read them on on your blog. But one of the things that what I can see within those key trends as well, reading up for our interview here, was that you know these things are happening at a, a rapid pace during the pandemic because we actually been forced to organize ourselves, and actually people have starting asking themselves a lot of questions. One of them that really is for me that really comes up is the one around you know we we're going from from profit to purpose and values, uh, both as employees but also as consumers, the way we think. So can you talk a bit about how you found those uh, you know trends and what you're seeing is happening right now and how they're going to form the uh, the world as we go forward? Well, I'm not sure if they're going to form the world as we go forward. We hope and we do everything we can to to support that, but well the question is if that's actually going to happen. Um so how we did we come about these eight trends eight trends more or less are the conclusions of our research so far. Um so after having visited over 150 of these organizations, we wanted to kind of create a general conclusion of what do we see that these organizations are doing different than the traditional organizations. And as you mentioned, this what, this first trend that we talk about is a move from just making money and increasing shareholder value um, and, and exploiting everything else that, that, that influences that um, and moving much more towards meaningful, purposeful work. Um, with a very clear set of values uh, in place to to kind of create a community around what you're trying to do. And this is a super important trend, I believe, for the future. We're, we're looking at the problems of capitalism all around the world um, with um, a, a huge gap between the people that are extremely wealthy and the people that are being exploited um, to, do, to do their job and to contribute to that um, wealth maximization of the, the richest people in the world. And companies are run in the same way. So companies are run with the sole focus on um, increasing shareholder value to make more profit every single quarter. But there is luckily a couple of organizations around the world and a growing number of them, uh, I have to add, of organizations that don't accept this, um, this, this way of working. They're actually looking for creating organizations where they can truly contribute to something meaningful. So they get, they get rid of this outdated model and that's only about making money for shareholders and they focus instead on trying to make the world a better place through their organization. And those organizations don't have to be charity, charitable foundations. Um, they can also be for-profit companies. But these organizations believe that in order to be successful and in order to really use your time on earth in a valuable way they should be doing something more than just making money so they've there there's um clothing brands out there that are working in highly sustainable ways to and rally their people um, their customers and their suppliers around this common purpose and they still make a lot of money because a lot of people are willing to pay a premium price for a more sustainable product um, but their focus is not uh, on the in their first priority is not on making money it's on 
contributing to something meaningful. And the same is happening in different sectors where companies are realizing that they need to do something more to society um, than just exploiting it at whatever cost. Yeah, and it's super interesting because we have talked uh, here at Hospitality Mavericks for for some years about you know making positive impact, but you know we understand that you need to make profit to be able to do pos- uh, positive impact. So you need to run a good business, but you you build a good business to be able to take care of your people, take care of it, uh, the, the the community you part, and as well as our planet, which is struggling with a, with a number of issues like climate change and equality and stuff. You said, and another thing you talk about in these eight trends, what I I can see will happen, especially in in the industry we are in, is that you know the amount of layers there is in organization and the way of doing leadership, where it's been you know very industrial top down driven with directives from 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 the leadership team into processes and procedures where you're going to have much more a supported style of leadership and actually you've seen locally here in uh, in the uk uh, there's a brand called honest burger um they've actually changed now their whole operational setup from having ops managers now to have ops coaches exactly go out and help and i think they are trying to do what we call self-management out those organizations can you talk a bit about how how what you've learned on that journey from organization that is very top down to become a bit more supportive in the way they run their leadership approach yeah so um first maybe going back to that purpose very briefly um to add a bit to what you were saying like these companies uh also need to make a lot of money or at least they need to make a profit um, because they you, every company needs to make a profit in order to stay alive um, if they want to grow their investments and have more impact on whatever it is they're trying to do. So, But these companies don't believe that one uh, is contradictory to the other um, and they can actually do both at the same time. So they believe um, a profit is important and they often compare it to oxygen for human beings. So you need it to stay alive but breathing is not the reason you exist, or at least I might hope. And that's for a companies more or less the same. Like profit is not the reason they these companies exist. And they they do need it though. They need it to, to grow their impact and to pursue their, their purpose. So that was briefly on that. And then we, you talked about um, the other thing, like how to change organizational structures, how to reduce some of that hierarchy and create an organization that is more supportive to people, uh, mostly those working at the front line. And we're seeing this trend very clearly. So in all of these organizations that we've been visiting where people seem to be highly engaged um, at work, there's a big change in how they organize themselves. So they get rid of this outdated idea that you uh, need to have a CEO on top and then lots of management layers in between who are coordinating, who are distributing the work and then getting to the people at the front line who are simply being told what to do. And a hundred years ago, when people were moving from rural areas into the factories, this made a lot of sense. People were uneducated. Um, the work was every single day exactly the same. So if you would optimize one part of a process and you would do that for every single part, you would optimize the entire process as well. But today, when things are constantly changing, especially, of course, in hospitality, um, where it's not that linear, what people are doing, then it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have these very um, um, strict management structures that are focused on creating efficiencies. 
Um, so we see that many organizations get rid of that and they instead they form into what we call a network of team structure, where you have small teams, mostly of 10 to 15 people, who kind of organize themselves as if they're running a separate company. So they, these big organizations split up into smaller, highly autonomous entities. And within those autonomous teams or entities, people have a lot of decision-making power. So they can make investments themselves. They can hire people themselves. They can fire people. They can make their own decisions on um, what strategies to pursue. So it kind of becomes, instead of this one big organization where everything's dictated from the top, it's replaced with a network structure where every single team can kind of make their own decisions um, as long, of course, they, they live true to that purpose and the values of the organization. But um, a lot of autonomy is, is, is given to, to those frontline teams to actually make sure they can respond more quickly to changing customer needs. And it's, it's super cool to see because if you go to organizations like that, and, and one interesting example um, that I'm sure you would love to talk about is uh, Zingerman's in the United States. So there's a, it's a community of businesses um, working in hospitality. So they have uh, restaurants, uh, grocery stores, um, and it's, it's based in, uh, in Michigan. And the interesting thing about them is that they're split up into also this, this network structure. So they have uh, lots of different businesses that are part of this community. And every single business is more or less run as if they are really completely running their own business. So it has an entrepreneur and it has a lot of people working in, for example, one of those restaurants that we visited that have a lot of decision-making power in how they're running their, um, their organization. Uh, from the people at the top of that uh, organization, that restaurant, also to the people working at the front line. They have a lot of shared decision-making. So it's a really cool example of an organization working like that where you can really see that if you give people that autonomy, if you give them that freedom and that responsibility, it can be very beneficial to not just their motivation, but also to the success of a, of a business. It's super interesting when you uh, give the power to people and you, you, you they have in Zimmerman's, uh, one of the things I read, I can remember when it was a book or one of your blogs and also studying them pre uh, because that is one of the few hospitality businesses I have heard about, you know, in in the last ten years that really have a different way. They have this like open book management principle, so all the finances is available for everyone. If you're the KP working in uh, cleaning the dishes, or you are the managers of the store, uh, you have like access to that, and you actually discuss this on a weekly level. Can you can you talk a bit about that principle? Because I think. You know, that will be maybe the biggest game changer for many. They could actually do quite quickly because they have this. They have these numbers, but they don't share them. It's very easy. It's it's a it's a mentality thing. It's a mindset thing that you want to give the front line the numbers so they know how we are doing financially. Yep. Yeah, and also it's a uh, often it's um, um just because people are not used to doing it and being so open about their uh, financials. They also don't think that that could be a solution to bring more people into uh, into what they're doing and increase engagement and motivation. But the story of Zingerman's was really cool. So we went there, um, I think it was all, yeah, four and a half years ago. So one of our first trips to the, to the US to research companies over there. And we went to visit Zingerman's because we heard this story. And I think we heard it in your native uh, country. It was in, uh, in Copenhagen where we uh, went to a conference and we heard about 
this guy, Ari Weinzweig, who was supposed to be the CEO of this company called Zingerman's. And apparently, even though he was the CEO of a company of about 700 people, we heard that every evening or almost every evening, he walked around in one of the restaurants with uh, a jar of water to walk along the tables and to give water to the guests, or to pour water to the guests. And we thought, well, this is probably such an American story. That is, he did it maybe once or twice, and now it has become this myth of this CEO that is still such a normal person that is just wandering around the, the restaurant floor doing one of the jobs that is least appreciated in, uh, in U.S. restaurants. So we went there, and we went a day before we were actually supposed to meet him. And um, we went a day early to go to the restaurant to see if it was actually true or not. So we... Uh, sat at, we're sat down at a table, sitting in the restaurant, and then after about five or ten minutes, uh, we saw Ari coming into the restaurant, or not coming into the restaurant, but coming into the onto the floor, uh, with indeed a jar of water, going from one table to another, pouring water, talking to guests, talking to employees, and just being there and and understanding what customers wanted, talking to employees to understand how we could best support them, and to really have a good feel with what was going on on there on the restaurant floor. Um, and afterwards, he came to talk to us and we we asked him, of course, the, the days after also uh, a lot of questions on why he was doing this. And he said, well, in the end, the people that are working uh, for me or for my organization are the ones that are actually doing the work. Me as a leader, I should just be there to facilitate whatever it is that they need to be successful. If that is wandering around to understand what customers want, to understand what employees want, that's what I need to do as a leader. Um, and it's really cool because we saw the same... Um, mindset and the same approach, not just in that, but also in the onboarding meetings where he was personally around every single month for new people who joined the organization, always telling the story about why they started, how they started, um, and constantly being there as, as as really the supportive leader. And as you mentioned, also in the, the open book management sessions. And so we, we joined one of those sessions in, in one of the restaurants. And we were there, Ari was there as well, and about 25 other people. And we were just sitting in the back together with Ari, not participating, just watching. And there were people there sharing all the most important numbers of that week for that specific restaurant. So they talked about customer satisfaction numbers, the main issues that they run into while helping their clients. Um, and they were talking about the profit, um, the revenues, the costs, the costs also on, on specific levels, so they could actually see how they were spending their money as an organization. So it was interesting to see because nobody of us, Ari didn't participate. The leaders of that restaurant didn't participate. But there was, at one point, there was a guy who was um, cleaning the dishes who was actually standing up and sharing a part of the, or give, uh, giving openness to a part of those numbers. So there was this young guy who was about, I think, 17 or 18 years old um, who was sharing um, the revenue and the profit numbers of that week. And afterwards we talked to him and he said, well, uh, if you would have asked me this a couple of months ago, I would have laughed at you for thinking that I would be taking on such a position because I was just here to clean the dishes. He said, but they trained me and they showed me how to read a, a balance sheet, how to read a profit and loss statement and how to also influence the numbers. So everyone in that organization um, all of those 25 people out that were in that meeting had a good understanding of how much money was coming in, how um, much their clients appreciated the work that they were doing, and also how they were spending all of that money. 
So they came up with all kinds of ideas to save costs or to invest in new equipment. And those decisions were not made by managers, but those decisions were made by the people working in the restaurant. And this was the beauty of it, because you could see the engagement of everyone in that organization, even that young guy that was cleaning the dishes. And you could see the engagement and you could see the involvement also in in making decisions. And this is, of course, completely different to what you're seeing in most traditional organizations, where people just do their job, they do what it's, what's expected of them and what they've been hired for, but they're not really thinking beyond their own job description because they're not rewarded for it. They're not engaged to do it. And they are not actively involved by people um, in management positions. So it's a big change from what traditional organizations look like. But this example shows how powerful it can actually be and how it can really engage people into whatever it is that the organization is trying to do. Yeah, and I think I think you you told it so so well, uh, Pim, because uh, this is one of the things I think you could do right now if you are running a hospitality business. You could start preparing yourself how I'm going to implement just this one practice because of all we all understand business has to make profit. But I believe because I've seen this doing this maybe twenty years ago, similar kind of setup when I was running restaurants and cafes where they actually got that permission and actually understood that when you spend ten hours extra on labor, it has a consequence. You know, it will impact your bonus, your shared bonus. And people actually really get engaged in that, but often they just need a bit of training in understanding the framework they work within and because a PL is not different that's plus and minus and they've learned that in school and you said in the beginning like people are much more educated today and lots of young people they are know much more about you and they can google things much faster than yourself so it's just about using that you know brain power as well in your organization as innovation to help you find solutions uh, on your problems. And I think that's another thing. You, know, you can really tap into some very clever people that maybe in hospitality is there for a short period while they're studying or they are through some life phases where they're trying to meet uh, ends or save up for traveling, um, but they can really impact your business in a positive direction. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's it's a, it's a, it's a quite an easy thing to do, as you mentioned. Um, and it's, it's, it's two things. So first of all, creating proper transparency around these, uh, the most important things for your business and educating people to understand them and how to act upon them. And if you do this on a regular basis, um, and if you give people the opportunity to, to improve upon these, these ideas, to come up with their own solutions, this is a very simple thing that can really grow, grow the engagement. I used to work in restaurants as well during my study and, and before that as well in high school and it, you could notice a big difference between different restaurants. If they weren't involving you at all, also your engagement would go down dramatically and we'd just come in, do your shift and uh, nothing above and beyond, but you would just do the thing you were, were hired to do or the, the, the minimum amount of work you should be doing to get your paycheck. And this is such a shame because we're wasting so much potential and so much, um, so much, as you mentioned, brain power of people. And, uh, there are some easy ways to actually fix it and to 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 be more successful and be much more fun organization. Yeah, and no, no, there's no doubt about we uh, we know that the Gallup says, and you, you quote that often as well. I think it's that 83 or 80 percent of the workforce worldwide is disengaged, and and that's a problem uh, if you want to use your business not only to make profit but also make an impact. You need to get them 
on board. You need to start somewhere. But I just think it's such an an easy win if you can mentally, you know, start thinking about I cannot share them the financial numbers because then what power do I have? Then you have all the power in the world. You can really start growing your business and actually focusing on the things you should as a, a CEO or a leader of a business. There's another trend I would like to touch on because a lot of people in, in these time and a lot of leaders, we are, uh, and I know myself, I'll jump into this as well. You try to predict and plan. And this is like the old school. This is how I was trained at university. That was how I learned when I worked at McDonald's. We, we can predict things. We can uh, adjust the machine and we can do strategy development. We have data and so on. But now we end in this world. The pandemic is a clear sign of how the, the blankets has been ripped under us. And suddenly we just have to adapt and test. And I think the people I work with and the different organization I'm involved in and uh, businesses I had that's been through struggles, we have actually really had to embrace in the, the pandemic the plan and adapt and actually the bottom-up approach of finding solutions to actually just be able to survive. What did you see pre-pandemic and also now with this you know, kind of approach, the more agile way of working to put a acronym on it? Well, I think it is, it's, of course, a big boost for change. Any, any crisis is always a, a good way to get people and organizations to change. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is uh, more often uh, shown that crisis can really help organizations to start working different. For example, also in the financial crisis, there have been a, quite a lot of companies that had to reinvent themselves. And the same, I think, is happening now. And um, it's, it's, of course, far from ideal that it's happening. But hopefully this uh, crisis will show to people that change um, is something that we should always be thinking about. The idea that we can, um, as you said, plan and predict what's going to happen. Uh, what might have worked really well decades ago or 100 years ago when um, we were doing, but, but the world was much more stable. Um, that would have made a lot of sense, but nowadays it doesn't. And of course, this, this pandemic has been an, an, an event that doesn't, hopefully doesn't happen that often. Uh, but there will be other changes. The world continues to change more quickly. So organizations and people need to be capable of adapting to it. Um, and you see the same thing now uh, that has happened, of course, in the hospitality industry. Um, a lot of shops had to close, uh, close their doors. Some have been really creative in coming up with new concepts on how to still make money in, in, in this new type of environment or this restricted environment. Others haven't. Um, and haven't been able to adapt and they either went bankrupt or they are still uh, hoping to get an expanded uh, um, support from the government. Um, and this is, yeah, th I think that um, maybe you can get support from the government now um, until the pandemic is over, but there will always be another next change coming that you might not be ready for. So I think it is very important for organizations to learn how to adapt to let go of the idea that you need to make plans and um, action plans that go into the future for one, two, three years. Um, I think what is much more important is to constantly experiment with new products, new services, uh, new ways of working, to listen to people at the front line and to give them the opportunity to experiment. Uh, because if you do that, new ideas will pop up and new uh, opportunities will for sure arise. And this is what many of these pioneering organizations are doing as well. They don't believe that it should be just a task of management. Uh, 
to make uh, strategic plans. But they invite everyone within the organization to come up with new ideas, to uh, maybe fund a bit of those uh, early stage ideas and give employees the opportunity to pursue these new ideas, to see if it's actually something that might work. And this, this change is, I think, very important that we get rid of the idea that the people at the top have the, all the, the wisdom to predict what will happen and instead give people within the entire organization the opportunity to step up and to set up new experiments to see if they have really good ideas that might um, be the next stage for the organization. It's interesting uh, what you're saying there that it's, it's, it is this you know shift in around that we just have to accept or radical accept this uh, ongoing uh, change that's gonna gonna hit us how is these you know the more progressive companies the the uh, the innovators the, uh, the the people the pioneers you've been visiting how have they actually worked around plans and strategy because i read some places some of them have no plans they just have a vision uh, i think it's Zimmerman. they just have a vision for the the next 20 years and they work out that they don't do strategic planning and so on and you would think that you know you need some kind of planning in in different organization what is your your view on on the planning bit and uh, and having no plans um well we recently published an article about a really cool company in uh, in russia it's called Vkusville, or probably pronounced completely wrong, but something like that in, uh, in Russian. It's a large organization. They employ 14,000 people, and it's a supermarket uh, chain. So they have all small shops spread throughout uh, Russia, mainly in Moscow. And they are also really about um, giving people lots of autonomy, running their shops as if they're separate businesses, et cetera, et cetera. They, don't, they hate rules. And they also stopped doing strategic meetings. Um, because they figured out that every year when they had a strategic meeting, they came up with a couple of uh, initiatives. And then they said, well, this, these are the things we'll be doing this year. And then they figured out at the end of the year when they were evaluating those that none of them were executed upon and that there were lots of other cool ideas and uh, initiatives that popped up during the year that were way more interesting than what they had thought of at the beginning of the year. So they said, why should we still spend time doing this if we can have this sort of emergent strategy popping up everywhere and act upon whatever it is that we come across? So they stopped doing the strategical meetings and now just um, allow everyone uh, to come up with good ideas uh, and to act upon them if they seem to be valuable. And the same thing we're seeing in other organizations. There's this really cool example of a, a large company in China called Hire. They're this large manufacturing company that it make, for example, refrigerators and washing machines. And they're the largest white goods manufacturer in the world. And the interesting thing about them is they split up also their company into more than 4,000 uh, small companies. They call them micro enterprises. And each micro enterprise can set their own strategy. So it's up to the, the, those small teams of mostly 10 to 15 people to determine their own strategies and to pursue them. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that you create so much entrepreneurship in an organization by giving people the opportunity to do that, to act upon their ideas, is that Hire has been growing um, exponentially over the past couple of years, um, constantly picking up new markets, finding new products, new services to offer, things you could never have imagined or um, decided from the top down, but things that people experience at the front line, new ideas, new services that pop up, 
and they can act upon them. And you kind of get this emergent strategy because of it. So not anymore the idea that you have to come together once a year to create these new ideas, but to just create an organization, to to create an, an architecture of an organization where if people have good ideas, they can share them, get other people involved in them, get funding if they require it, and then start execute, executing upon it. Um, so that's what we're seeing in many organizations. These two are quite extreme in it, but there's many more examples of companies that are much stronger believers of um, doing things in a more emergent way than in this top-down um, dictated way. It's interesting now because now you have just mentioned two very big companies because a lot of people, when you talk about self-management and having a more transparent and bottom-up organization, think that can only happen in small team. But exactly, it's a, the interesting thing you're saying there. It's about how you, from the outset, organize yourself because actually you create an ecosystem of a lot of small companies. So exactly proven it both works in a small format, in, in the small giants, you can say, but also works at giant companies, uh, as, as you mentioned, you know. Uh, and that's another interesting uh, case you have or looked into. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Birdsock in, in Holland, a care company, it's very close to what hospitality about. There's a, there's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of things that needs to be coordinated. Can you talk a bit about... What is that you have learned for them as well? Because that's interesting. That's a, you know, a very big organization within uh, Holland, but also the way they, they work and how they actually get autonomy to these small teams as well. Yeah, the pronunciation was quite right. Buurtzorg. Buurtzorg. Okay. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> uh, so it literally means neighborhood care. So they provide home care nursing to people. So they, go into your, they come into your home to treat you if you are unable to go to the hospital yourself. And the interesting thing is it was founded in 2006, also from a point of frustration where the founders had experience of working in traditional home care nursing organizations, being part of these strict rules, the idea that nurses should be told what to do and how to do their job. And they, they, they wanted to get out of that and set up their own organization organized around the autonomy of nurses. So they started with four people and have now grown to uh, 15,000 employees. Uh, more than a thousand self-managed teams and they're organized still very much in the same way. So the interesting thing is that every team of 10 to 12 nurses um, is responsible for one specific neighborhood. So big cities might have various neighborhoods and various teams. Um, small villages might have one specific Buurtorg team that supports that community. And the 10 to 12 nurses are responsible for doing all the work themselves. So there's no managers in the entire organization. Um, and the nurses are expected to hire, uh, to fire, to make their own decisions, to plan their work, to execute their work. All of that needs to be done by the team themselves. So it's all very locally organized. But you still have the, of course, big organization. So it's 15,000 people. As I said, no managers, just about 25 coaches that support the teams whenever they run into problems they cannot solve themselves. And there's about 50 people in headquarters. But um, those people are just there to facilitate administrative processes to, for example, negotiate with the insurance companies, all that kind of stuff that needs to be done by, uh, and, and that they don't want to bother the teams with. So um, the interesting thing about the organization is that their, their people are much more engaged if you compare it to traditional home care nursing organizations. Um, employees are happier. 
Um, patients are happier and patients are actually cured faster at Beardsorg than at other home care nursing organizations. So they do their work more efficiently as well. And their costs are quite a lot lower, especially their overhead costs, as you can imagine. So because they have such a small headquarters, their overhead costs are 67% lower than traditional counterparts. So doing it quite well. And that's why also their model is spreading around the world um, and gaining quite a lot of momentum. So once again, the same formula, right? Split up into smaller teams that have a lot of autonomy, that almost feel as if they're running their own business, that can still leverage the size of the, the, the bigger organization with, for example, knowledge sharing and training, etc. And where the nurses themselves and the people themselves have a lot of decision-making power. So we see time and time again, this same kind of formula for organizations to, to work differently. Um, and to, to to really leverage that that motivation of uh, of employees. That's profit, sixty six percent saved head off cost because that's one of the been one of the massive issue for uh, you know larger hospitality businesses. They had to have very expensive uh, head office structures in place to get what they want the frontline people to do or create things or making plans, strategies, campaigns, and so on. And it's going to be very difficult to see that you can afford to have the uh, the same kind of infrastructure as we go forward. So therefore, there's another good reason to look at them and study them because, you, of course, you can't. But I think maybe you can put a bit of weight on this as well, Pim. But I, because I always say you can't copy what somebody else do one-to-one, but you can get inspired and you need to find your own ways and work around the framework because that's not like a, a roadmap of how you do this. And then you are a self-managed organization. I don't know what your learnings has been. Yeah, I fully agree. Look, the aim also shouldn't be self-management. The aim shouldn't be um, this new type of uh, organizational structure. The aim, in, I believe, should be to find a way to, to, to truly motivate people and to give them the opportunity to use their skills, their talents, their creativity. And there's a lot of ways to go about it. So none of the organizations is the same that we've been visiting. They all find their own way to make it work. Um, and instead of copying their practices or copying their structures, it should be about understanding what the principles behind them are. So why would you organize in this way? And what are the main principles that are underlying these structures? You can try to implement those, and but you will have to find your own uh, structures, your own processes, your own practices to actually do it. Um, and it depends on what kind of organization you are, how big you are, uh, which culture you're working in, uh, what kind of people are working in your organization. So there's no fixed formula. Uh, um, I think at the beginning, five years ago, we kind of set out to find the the um, the, the one solution, um, but we figured out very quickly that we were not going to find that. It was way more complex than that. Um, but it is about the, the principles and not so much about copying indeed, as you mentioned, uh, what other people are doing or other organizations are doing. And one thing I wanted to, to to touch on, and then I want to hear a bit more uh, about your approach in your own company, but like a lot of leaders out there are focusing on uh, technology or digitalization as a solution to make their organization more effective. Uh, and in principle, I'm saying to many of them, yeah, that that's right. Uh, it can save or make you money. Uh, but in principle, uh, your organization is not getting any better if you have actually, you know, changed that way you are working or the way you're structuring work. 
And uh, and the interesting thing is there's a lot of people that do the digitization because there's a, a short-term win and it's, it's reasonably easy if you have the money to, to start digitization process. Uh, but the problem is that you will never get as a big an upside uh, as on changing the way you work uh, compared to technology. I think it's, a, I don't have the numbers, but I'm just guessing it's going to be very small. What have you seen when you have been with the pioneers around how they approach technology and how they use it? Because many of them talk about using technology, but that's, if I, I understand it right, it's actually how to give permission to operate, use technology to make the people do their own decisions better. Well, technology is used, I think, in a variety of ways. Um, we see the same thing during the pandemic. Like some companies use technology to um, ensure that people can work properly um, remote, so from home. Others use technology to micromanage their people from afar. Um, so there's the bad, um, the, like the evil way of going about it and the good way of going about it. And I think the same is for any technology that you're trying to work with in your organization. So what we're seeing is that it's super important in these companies to have this technological infrastructure in place. For example, if we talk, we just talked about this Buurtzorg example, and you have a very large organization that is very run very locally. So the teams make their own decisions on a local level. But the interesting thing is they can still leverage the size of the company by learning from teams on the other side of the country um, through their IT infrastructure. So they can go online if they run into, for example, a problem with a patient that they don't know how to solve. Let's say, for example, there's a patient, they don't know how to cure their wound. So they can easily go on the internet, go to the forum, ask a question saying, well, we're now running into this specific situation. We don't know how to handle it. Is there anyone else in all of those 15,000 people that has experience with this? Please help us out. And then within minutes or hours, you get a response from more experienced people in the organization that can help others out. So the, it's very organized very locally, but you can still leverage the size of the company and all the uh, knowledge that is available through the IT infrastructure. And at the same time, the IT infrastructure also allows teams to understand how they are performing compared to other teams. And there you have this transparency again that we talked about before. And IT, of course, is a great way to give people that transparency. So um, that, is, that, that is super important. And, and, and what I think else is important in that is that if you want to develop something like that, you really need to start from the people at the front line. Um, it doesn't make any sense to initiate something like this or to come up with an idea on how to do this from, for example, the IT department or from the top of the organization or from an outside consulting firm. There's nobody you can tell you how to do, how to create such a IT infrastructure better than the people at the front line. So ask them, what is it that you need from us to be able to do your job in a better way? How can we give you information so you can make better decisions? All these kinds of questions that are super important to make sure that it's not just a solution that sounds nice in theory, but that it also actually works in practice. Um, and a lot of companies are overlooking this. They just buy this tool that's already available online take it off the shelf, force their people at the front line to start using it. And then they expect magical things to happen, which I can tell you in most cases is not. They often fail those projects. I'm, uh, I can tell that 100% because I've done that mistake myself. So <laughs> <laughs> It's a good way to learn it. Yeah, it's a good way to learn it. A, a very painful one, by the way. Uh, and um, 
So if we take, you know, you know, you're you're preaching, or I wouldn't say call it preaching, you're informing the world, you're educating the world about this. How do you and I know you're building a little team yourself. Are you taking your own medicine? No, we're organized uh, super traditionally with uh, lots of command and control and no, just kidding. We're uh, yeah, of course we we have to do it. Um we hate it if organizations talk about it and don't do it. So just as if they're like uh they, they put up this charade showing that they're doing great things and very people oriented and then not really doing it. So we try to do it as much as possible and it's um it's hard. So we're constantly learning how to do it in a better way. As we grow our team, we need to make new changes and constantly adjust. Uh, the past year, of course, we had to make big changes as well, not just in the products and services we were offering, but also in the way we were working ourselves. So we're constantly experimenting at the moment, for example, like we're, let me show a couple of the, or share a couple of the exotic things that uh, people always like. For example, we set our own salaries um, not just us as founders, but also uh, the other people working in the company. And we're still quite small, so we're about uh, six people at the moment. So it's 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 a lot easier because we are small, of course. But everyone can do it. So even the people that joined last year, um, at first you have six months of uh, a more traditional contract, and then you can set your own working, uh, or you can set your own pay. You can also set your own working hours, your working location, um, kind of cra- craft your own ideal job based on your talents and your uh Uh, your skills there's no formal management structure in place Um, so we do quite a lot of things i think that we're talking about as well Um, at the moment we're working on a couple of things to improve it it might also be nice to share so um, as we're working more and more remote especially but like holland wasn't in that big of a lockdown before so we called it uh the, the intelligent lockdown in the beginning of uh, 2020 or in April 2020, which was nothing more than like we advise you to stay at home as much as possible. And nowadays we're also in a more strict lockdown. Um, so now we also have to work more remotely. Um, and the longer you work remotely, the harder it is, or at least we feel that, to keep momentum up, to constantly understand who's working on what, to appreciate who's working on what. So we're we're at the moment experimenting with a new tool, um, and 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 we're trying to create more transparency around who's doing what, um, and also making the communication more easy, while when you don't have the opportunity to see each other in person. So that's an ongoing experiment, and at the same time, we're also uh, setting up a, a new kind of dashboard to show the most important numbers and to create more of this open book management uh, vibe um, in a more real-time way. So we have been doing open book management sessions every month where we share all of the financials with everyone, go through the costs, levels, the revenues, all of this. So we've been doing that for quite some time already, uh, for a couple of years. And um, But now we're working on a more real-time dashboard that shows how much people are visiting our website, how much um, engagement we have on social media, um, how much revenues we're, we're, we're getting, how much costs are, where our cost levels are. So to make it more dynamic um, and also to need to do not need that monthly meeting to go through those financials and to have it more real-time available for everyone. So we're constantly experimenting still and trying to do it in a better way. 
And that's interesting by putting in real time, then you don't need a meeting. Another meeting that could be cut out because meetings is a, is a thing we haven't talked about. On a, let's stay away from that. That's a, a subject in itself, <laughs> uh, meetings. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you hate meetings because you're not getting anything done. Um, yeah, we're quite religious about minimizing them. So these things are also focused on that. Yeah. yeah. Great, great, great idea. What is the, you know, within that, been on that journey, what is the biggest failure you have done yourself? Where were you like, wow, that was a learning on trying to become a bit more self-organized or creating the best place to work? Well, we make all kinds of mistakes. We don't really make a big fuss out of it. So we share them on a, on a weekly or monthly basis. And then that's kind of it. But the, big, the, big, the biggest mistake we made, I guess, is the one that we set up a separate company to do the consulting work. Uh, we called it Revolt by Corporate Rebels. And they were going to be like the, um, the people who were going to put it into practice within organizations. So we hired a bunch of people uh, to, to, to start working on that, or they actually joined, set up their own company within, like underneath our, our, our uh, umbrella. Um, and it worked really well, but we weren't, I, th I think there was like uh, um, not enough, understanding from us what it really needed, both in terms of uh, skills and talents, but also in terms of uh, how to approach it. Um, so the consulting business is a, a weird business um, and we weren't big fans of it, but wanted to have this kind of uh, business inside our kind of ecosystem. But we, And we learned a lot of lessons doing that in kind of setting up a new business while we were already setting up ours um, by, by finding a good uh, service for the market. Um, and we succeeded quite a lot in that. And unfortunately we had to stop because the team wasn't, they weren't believing very much in, 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 in their future as a, as a company. So we learned a lot of lessons there over the past uh, two years, I guess. Um, and now we decided to, uh, or already 10 months ago, we decided to stop 12 months ago. Um, so that was a really big learning for us on a, on a number of factors. And we, took quite a lot of those learning into our own company. So about communicating more openly, um, becoming way better at giving feedback and being more transparent about what you thought about other people's work. And we, I think we've become really a lot better because of it. Um, it was a, a painful lesson that we learned, but it was really valuable for us to learn already um, after a couple of years. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because there's nothing, you know, you know, your mistakes you learn more from than your, your successes. And if you can take those failures and adapt them into a new way of uh, working and uh, organizing yourself, I think that has massive value. Where do you get your uh, inspiration from? I guess you get your inspiration from the people you visit, but do you have like, you know, your as a company, do you have like a a group of gurus or people that, these are the people you go through to evolve your business. Uh, yeah, we actually do that on a, on a continuous basis. And I think those people or organizations are different for every individual here. Um, so some are more attracted to uh, the more freedom-oriented workplaces. Others are more attracted to purpose-driven workplaces. And I think the mix is quite nice. So we constantly keep learning from these, these companies. So we, um, as part of the research that, that we talked about, like that's an ongoing thing. So every month we talk to new organizations that we've come across 
to learn from. Even now that we can travel, we're still talking to them uh, online um, and learning how they're running their business and how they adjust to this crisis. And um, so that's it's really interesting. And you notice if you don't do that often enough, so, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, I wasn't uh, reading a lot and I wasn't um, talking to a lot of those people from from those progressive organizations. And it's it's you already feel kind of your own momentum or your own motivation going down a bit. And if you pick that up again, and it's vitally important, we really learned that, um, that you get so much better ideas. Um, you, you, you become more motivated and more engaged with what you're doing. So... Um, to us, this constant learning um, from others is, is super important in becoming better ourselves and, and also in, in having a lot of fun at work. Super. Um, in the end of the uh, the podcast, I always ask this question uh, because it's good to give some, some takeaways to people out there. So I'm, I'm more thinking about leaders out there in the hospitality, restaurant, uh, retail industry, uh, what are your like your your top three advice for them in in this moment? Because it is a difficult time, and and we all have to acknowledge it's it's really hard, and it's really a sector that's been hit during the pandemic are are now in a very crucial phase. What would your like top three advice be to them? Well, for, first of all, let me share that I don't have any. Uh, specific knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. Um, and I also don't want to pretend as if I know uh, what the people in the hospitality industry should be doing. I think that's important to mention because there are way tougher areas at the moment than, than we are. What I do think that is important um, and that is uh, applicable to any business um, around before, during and after the pandemic is that in order to run a business in a better way, in a more human, in a more engaging way, it's vitally important that people start listening to employees to a higher extent. And we talked about this a number of times during this podcast, but listening to the people at the front line, giving them the opportunity to share their ideas, to understand what's going on and to uh, set up their own initiatives, experiments to, to make the business in general better. I think this is vitally important. Secondly, um, Acting upon it, so don't just listen to them, but also make changes in your organization um, that shows to people that they're actually being listened to and that what they're saying is also influencing the path of the organization. And then giving another very important one that I think all the examples that we talked about uh, showed is that it's about giving autonomy to people. And in doing their job, give them the opportunity to do it according to their own, their, their, their own ideas and, and don't tell them how they should be doing their job because this is the worst thing you can do if you want to create a motivated workforce. And these things are, 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 can be quite simple if you, if you constantly focus on them. Uh, to do it on a long term, it's quite hard. But the results that it might bring you as an organization and even as an individual leader of such an organization are, are quite extreme. So um, I would recommend everybody to at least give it a try and to start understanding how you can become this new type of organization where you truly leverage the motivation of people. There was like uh, one question actually that left me with him. It's like, okay, what, what are like, you know, see, you know, often you, you have blockers in organization for doing these things. Like, as you say, they're, they're reasonable, simple things. But um, what is the, you know, if you would just, we just finish off with, what are these, these blockers you need to be aware of as a leader when you start these initiatives? 
because I think they people can have an idea about what they need to go and do, but what do they need to be aware that can really stop that transformation to happen? Yeah, so uh, let me quickly share a couple. So first of all, policy. Even the people that make the policy sometimes feel policy is getting in the way of them doing their job. So this is interesting. We often had this when working with this, uh, these large companies and people at the top say, well, we can do this because this is policy. And then we ask them, who makes the policy here? Yeah, that's us. So why can you not change it? Well, it's a policy. So you get into this vicious <laughs> circle of um, not being able to change things because they think it can cannot be changed. But so this is an uh, important one. And also there's always people in your organization who don't want to go down this path. For example, if there are managers who don't want to give up power to employees or who don't want to distribute decision-making to the front line. And that's going to happen for sure. Um, but don't focus on the people that don't want to change, but instead focus on the ones that want to change. Start with them and let them show to others how beneficial it can be. And then probably people will follow along uh, once they see those, those pioneers in the organization take the lead. Um, and so, so it's a perfectly natural thing that happens in any group of people that some are more eager to start um, and to change things than others. So let just give them the opportunity to change and to experiment with things and don't focus on the ones that don't want to start at, uh, at first and see if you can get them along, the, uh, along over time. Yeah, it's super interesting when you talk about that. We talk a lot with people about uh, find your innovators and uh, start your small micro habits to change there. And when people see they are successful, they want to be successful and they want to mirror themselves in them and they will come and ask, can we join that journey as well? Uh, you just have to be brave enough to start, first of all. Uh, that that was super great. Uh, where where can uh, people find out more about Corporate Rebels, uh, uh, they can get the book on, on Amazon and different other channels, but where else is, is a good place to go and connect with you guys if you want to learn more about your, your journey and your your work? Well, the easiest thing to do is just go to the, the website, the blog. So that's corporate-rebels.com. And um, that's where you'll find everything that we're doing. Also, all the content that we've ever written uh, um, is stored nicely there. So you can really dive into some of the concept that we've been discussing. Um, so I think that's the that's the main uh, portal for people to go to. Great, thank you very much. I will uh, send you all the power and energy uh, and love you need to to as a as a business and individual to to get through the uh, the hopefully the last phase of uh, you know our lockdown pandemic, and then there's a probably other challenges on the other side as you said, and also that send you energy and power to do more of this uh, great work so we can uh, get some great workplaces and companies that can really make positive impact in the world. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm glad to uh, have been able to join. Pim, thank you so much for sharing your great insights on how to build organizations that not only improve employee engagement and boost profit, but also have the power to make more positive impact on their people, communities, and our planet. If you want to get inspired about how to build organizations that put people first, and thrive, please also tune in to episode 34, Love It or Leave It with Samantha Clark, episode 40, Organizational and Individual Happiness with Lars Kuryul, and not to forget episode 80, Henry Stewart on Freedom and Trust. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate it, review it, or subscribe to one of our channels. Tune in next time for another interview, and in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the tribe 
and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of that, there'll be links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and be maverick.